As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene called Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothing by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they had placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days... Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults upon him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now, leave him alone, and let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother 
of Zebedee's sons. Well, what plans have you made for this long weekend? And the more important question, I guess, is will they be fulfilled? Will things turn out as you planned? Um, I'm from England on public holidays. If it's warmer than 15 degrees, we have a barbecue and it rains. Or else we go to the Bunnings equivalent, B&Q. Or else we sit in a traffic jam trying to get somewhere. Lots of people here will be down the road at Bunnings this morning, won't they? Making the most of the two extra days to get done those projects around the house and garden they've been planning. Will things turn out as planned? More profoundly, what are your plans for life, for making the most of your days? What's your plan for life after death? Will things turn out as planned? I raise plans because in this account of Matthew, so he's one of Jesus' eyewitness disciples that we've just heard, we meet various people all with their own plans, plans for themselves and plans for Jesus. And we're going to take a look at some of them. But what about Jesus' plans for himself? Because if we just take the headlines that this prophet, healer, and teacher goes from being adored by huge crowds to end up being betrayed, abandoned, and dead on a cross. Well, the headlines just sounds like another sad story of someone else, someone's plans going horribly wrong. But as we look closer this Good Friday morning, we'll see something remarkable, something scandalous, that this most painful physical, relational, and spiritual suffering that Jesus goes through, that was his plan all along. His plan of love to bring us life. So let's have a look at some of the people we've heard from. What about Peter and the disciples? Well, Peter's full of good intentions, isn't he? Um, Verse 26, 31, Jesus reckons that they'll all fall away. But Peter's all like, "Well, well, everybody else might, but I won't. No way. Verse 35, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Peter wasn't alone in this. But then in Gethsemane, Peter, James and John, they couldn't even stay awake when Jesus specifically asked them to. And then by verse 56, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Just as predicted. And then whilst Jesus is on trial by the religious leaders, Peter doesn't just dodge questions about him being with Jesus. He emphatically denies them. So we didn't hear this bit, so I'm going to read that for you. 26, 69 to 75. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before all them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. 
After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Peter, like me, had a northern accent. He said, Well, wow. Northern accent. I'll teach you some northern words. He began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus, the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now, I reckon we can all relate to Peter at some level, can't we? Like those keen beans at Bunnings right now, we soon find out good intentions aren't enough to make our plans come together. Those people in Bunnings, they'll be back at Bunnings the next long weekend to finish what they never finished or fix what all went wrong. Peter and the rest of the disciples found out good intentions aren't enough. We all make plans to be a good person, to do the right thing, but we all know we fail to live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards. And actually, it's worse than that. Because God's perfect plan for us, the best plan there is for anyone's life, is to know him, to love him, and to live for him under his loving, generous rule. But every one of us, makes plans, plans to serve ourselves, and we ought to easily put them into practice. Plans to reject God and say, no thanks, I'll do things my way, and I'll do them for me. And it's got lots of different names, selfishness, pride, shows up in lots of ways. The Bible calls it sin, and sin comes between us and God. Because God is the source of life, he's perfectly good, So sin separates us from him, and we're left to face the consequences of it. Death, physical death, and the spiritual death of separation from God. So on our own, Peter, the disciples, Judas, Pilate, you, me, on our own, we're all in big trouble. And no amount of renovations, no plan of our own, able to fix the mess we're in. But God has a plan, and Jesus is determined to carry it out. God has a plan, and Jesus is determined to carry it out. So that's the disciples. What about the religious leaders? How do their plans go? Well, they must be expecting it to go badly, because when, so when it comes to Jesus' arrest, they send a crowd of heavies to arrest him with swords and clubs. Verse 55, Jesus says, In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, <laughs> I'm leading a rebellion that you come out for me with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. He has been getting up their nose, but he's been doing it right under their noses. And this whole arrest and trial, it's all so dodgy. The, the religious leaders are breaking their own rules by having this hearing at night. And their plan, starkly, is to have Jesus killed. The trouble is, whilst they're offended about him calling himself Messiah and Son of God, they don't like it, the Romans aren't going to execute him for that. So they have to find mud that will stick. So 26.59. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they didn't find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared... This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. 
It's not true. He didn't say that. But never mind. The woman won't like it. So that's a winner. However, Pilate, he's a player himself. He doesn't immediately roll. He knows it's all for their own benefit. And this pagan Roman governor has more of a conscience about truth and justice than God's representatives. So they egg on the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas, a convicted murderer and terrorist, instead of the release of Jesus, um, who they'd had to cook up lies about to convict at all. So if Peter and the disciples show us good intentions aren't enough for good plans to come together, the religious leaders show us religion isn't enough for good plans to come together. And by religion, I mean the common approach of every religion except Christianity. That if I do enough good stuff, if I tip the scales in my favor, me and God, we're all fine. In fact, let's be honest, God kind of owes me one for being such a good egg, doesn't he? But look what religion does. It blinds you into thinking that you must be in the right. So you should have the last word on your plans. And therefore you come out swinging against anyone who says anything different. The religious leaders get their own way. Jesus is arrested and eventually killed. But on the way, how religion has twisted their hearts is revealed in their actions. 26.67 Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him. This is religious leaders. The very people who should have been the first to recognize their Savior Messiah, the very people who should have been commending him to the people, instead hating him, rejecting him, and getting the people to join in having Jesus' blood on their hands. Unashamed of their lies, standing at the cross to mock Jesus. See, when we think we're good enough, when we're self-righteous, it just makes it easier to justify actually just following your own plans and rejecting God's. Being self-righteous makes us want to shut down anyone who says that we're not good enough. And I might have already lost you talking about sin. Because even if you're not trying to meet the standards of an external religion, you'll be trying to keep on the right side of your own conscience. Stay on the right side of your own conscience. And I get that it's offensive to say that that's not good enough and that you can't save yourself. That is offensive. It's so offensive, it got Jesus killed. But God has a plan, and Jesus is determined to carry it out. Just briefly, Pilate, I had a lot more to say, but we haven't got time. Pilate is like a lot of Australians, okay? He isn't against Jesus. He thinks Jesus is a good bloke. But he isn't going to let him get in the way of his own plans to further himself. Thanks very much. And so dealing with the here and now pressures of life muddied the waters of life and death decisions for Pilate. So he does whatever it takes to keep the peace, including going against his conscience and rejecting Jesus. 
So is that you today? Do you know who Jesus is, but won't give him your life because it all seems too hard? Or maybe you have an inkling that Jesus might just be the real deal, worth looking into, but the pressures of life take over, muddy the waters, and then you just move on to the next thing. Well, just stop. Easter's the perfect time to stop and think, to pay attention, to get to know Jesus, to look into him. As for Pilate, he condemns Jesus to be flogged and crucified. But God has a plan, and Jesus is determined to carry it out. So let's have a look at Jesus' plan. You see, each step of the way, what seems like a setback for Jesus, he already knows it's coming. And not only that, he deliberately continues on this path, knowing the agony it will bring him. So Jesus is abandoned by those closest to him. But back in 2631, he sees that it's coming and that it's fulfilling the words given to the prophet Zechariah. Uh, Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus is betrayed by Judas. But again, Jesus predicts it will happen. Let's it happen. And later, Matthew tells us how what happens to Judas fills fulfills God's plan laid out in Jeremiah and Zechariah in the Old Testament. Jesus is arrested at Gethsemane, but he's very clear it's only because he's letting them in order to fulfill his plans. 26.53, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? So let's get our heads around this. A Roman legion was 5,600 men. So that's what Jesus is saying. More than 70,000 angels could be there at the snap of his fingers. And don't think of angels as, you know, babies with wings on fluffy clouds. Think of the angel who struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians in two kings. And the angel who protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. The angels that saved Daniel by shutting the lion's mouths. Angels are well-armed. And Jesus could have summoned thousands at the snap of his fingers. In staying silent in his trials, in the way the soldiers mock Jesus, in his suffering on the cross, all of it fulfilling scripture, all of it following the plan God, Father, Son, and Spirit decided on and had written down for us. I mean, imagine having a dream and it's a premonition, you're sure it's a premonition that you're going to die in a skydiving accident. Well, what do you do? Well, you never go skydiving, do you? Jesus knew what was coming and he told his disciples that he must be betrayed, suffer, and die. He told them that three times and yet deliberately sets his face to Jerusalem, knowing where it would lead him, even help him make it happen. Why? Why go through all of that? Because Jesus knew to deal with the cause of death, to deal with sin, he would have to deliberately go through suffering and death himself. Jesus purposefully, willingly, went to his death on the Roman cross 
to take upon himself all we, have, all we ever have done, all we ever will do wrong, so that we can be forgiven. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring us back to God. See, our sin means that we're like Barabbas. We're in need of being rescued from receiving our just desserts. We need someone to take our place. We need a substitute, but not just anyone. I can't be a substitute for you because I'm at least as guilty as you are. But Jesus is fully human, yet fully innocent. He qualifies. Jesus follows the plan. But you might have noticed verse 2746. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is suffering not only being abandoned, betrayed, and condemned, um, and dying of torture. He's also suffering the agony of our sin, separating him from God the Father. But what he's not saying here is, oh, wait, this, this was never part of the plan. I kind of get out of it now. No, what Jesus is doing here is quoting Psalm 22. Re- read it later. But so much of it is fulfilled in the readings we heard, showing that this was always the plan. We haven't got time to look at it now, but basically by quoting this psalm that says two things, Jesus is saying two things with it. He's saying, I am suffering awful, unimaginable suffering, but also I'm completely trusting God to bring ultimate good from this. I am suffering, but I'm trusting God. God the Father, Son, and Spirit are in in this plan together co-authors of this plan. Jesus' death removes the barrier between us and God. So that's what's going on with the temple curtain being torn from top to bottom. And we're kind of blessed. It's not often you see the kind of curtain that we're talking about. Actually, if you look at the blue ones around the corner, they're really thick, heavy. That's what's going on in verse 51. At that moment, the curtain from the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. See, the temple is where God was present in a special way to his people, Israel. But it was full of barriers. Only so far if you were a Gentile. And then only so far if you were female. And then the next bit for priests only. And then one part, the Holy of Holies, only for the chief priest, only for once a year when he'd been through a whole rigmarole. Barriered off by a 20-meter thick, heavy curtain. And that gets torn completely in two. So the message of all those barriers, you can approach God, but only under lots of conditions, only very carefully. But Jesus' death isn't a symbolic sacrifice. It does something. It does the job. It pays the debt. It takes the punishment. It removes the barrier of sin between us and God for anyone who will trust in Jesus, trust in his plan as their Lord and Savior. So let me ask you again. What are your plans for life? Are they turning out as expected? And how do your plans for life square with Jesus' plan for your life. 
Jesus, who could have snapped his fingers, made it all go away and returned to a cozy eternity in heaven, instead saw our need to be forgiven. He saw the barrier between us and God needed to be removed. And he went for this plan. Single-mindedly chose to suffer unimaginably to save us. And that's someone you can trust to save you. That's someone you can trust with all your plans for the rest of your life. And when we do that, we know the life and love and freedom of certain forgiveness and eternal life. That new life can be yours today. Just turn from living for your own plan. Give your life to Jesus and he will fulfill his plan for you to enjoy forgiveness and an eternity of joy with him. It is Good Friday and we rightly focus on Jesus' death. But one thing, one more thing to notice before we finish. When telling his disciples that we're going to abandon him, Jesus also gave them this hope. Matthew 26, verse 32. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So I'm going to die, but I'll catch you later. See, Good Friday marks Jesus' victory over sin. It's a good Friday. But there's even more good news to his plan. A plan for life after death. Join us for some Sunday for more of that. Now that's a lot to take in, if, especially if you heard it for the first time. If you want to look into Jesus more, let me recommend three things. Read one of the biographies of Jesus, the gospel. There's some on the table on your way out. They're for you to take, not for us to keep. Um, lots of people, I think most people probably, would just dismiss the idea of thinking about Jesus at all is worthwhile. There's a book on the side there, Is Easter Unbelievable? Makes a case for why, if you weigh things up the way you weigh up the rest of history, our faith is a reasonable faith, and it's reasonable to look into Jesus and these Easter events. Another thing you can do is you could join me and others for a Hope Explored course, a three-session course we'll do in ter- next term, looking at the real hope Christian faith claims to offer. Joyful expectation for the future based on true events in the past, which changes everything about my present. Okay, I'm going to finish with a prayer, um, which if you want to respond to Jesus right now for the first time, it would do that job. It's not magic words or anything, just carefully put together to help through what we've looked at and how we respond. So it's going to be on the screen, and I'll read that prayer. Lord God, I admit that I've been living for my own plans, not your plan for me. I failed to love you as I should and loved other things more than you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me and help me to live for you. Thank you for Jesus taking the punishment for my sins on the cross. I give myself up to you trusting in Jesus to remove the barrier between us. I belong to you. Amen.